Welcome to the Dance to Oneness podcast. My name is Amy Shine, and I'm inviting you to discover and explore the many different paths to more possibilities. Okay, welcome everyone. This is episode 51 of the Dance to Oneness podcast. Today I am joined with a special friend of mine, Serena Olson, um, who is an international facilitator and teacher of a body of work that I found this year called Inner Dance. Welcome, Serena. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you today. So just to give the listeners um, a little introduction what is in inner dance first of all it's not a physical dance <laughs> i teach a lot of like ecstatic dance classes so people just think this is another thing i'm doing that is physical dance and the way serena describes it is it's not a physical dance the dance is happening within us although you may physically move during a session and um, so i started going for sessions of this body of work probably a year ago um and it started to really open me up and create a lot of change in my life very quickly. And what do I mean by that? I mean, like, I just start to, I would go in to this group, lie down on the, on this floor, the facilitator would go around, touch different places in, you know, energy centers on our body. And, and I had received a lot of energy work before. So I, I was pretty open to like, okay, whatever, whatever this is, let's, let's go. And, um, I, I believe I surrendered a lot and um music is played different type of music and what i started to see it wasn't so much what happened in the group it was what happened in my life afterwards and um, and i know serena you would say you know the change isn't in the session it shows up in your life and what mm -hmm. i started to see was i started to get very honest with myself i started to see very clearly what was working and what wasn't working in my life i started to have like i'm going to use the word integrity i started to get this like integrity of like seeing what works and what doesn't work and and i would say the main thing is i got very clear i got a lot of clarity and i had like a peace with that clarity like a calmness in me um and then i started looking this up you know and i found this training in scotland with serena <laughs> that was happening in July. And so in July, not knowing Serena, not knowing really anything about inner dance, just the few sessions I had, I went to Scotland and did the eight, eight day intensive program with Serena and 20 other beautiful souls. And wow, it changed. It's still changing my whole world. And so I really just wanted to have you on here today, Serena, to explore like I mean, if you could explain inner dance, not that you can ever really explain it, but if you could like, you know, I was in an elevator with you and you were like, I was like, what is inner dance? How would you even begin to say what it is? <laughs> okay, well, let's um, say that we don't have that long in the elevator together and start with something really simple. Um, I might call it a music-based meditation um, where you lay down, close your eyes and see what happens. That would be the mm. most basic way of looking at it. Um, an yeah. extension of that would probably 
start to take a look at sound waves and our brainwave states just in a quick motion of my hand to say that I create music that kind of goes like this, <laughs> and then that takes you into a bit of a journey with these soundscapes. So that might be something really basic, I could say. Yeah, and so I had gone for, you know, like these CAP sessions, Kundalini Activation Process in Florida, and um, they didn't have the soundscapes. They put together music, you know, from Spotify, which was still really powerful. But when I got to your training, I had never even heard of soundscapes. And the first session I laid down, you're like, okay, we're going to begin. And I laid down and you start with these soundscapes, which by the way, Serena is like DJing live in the room and she's putting together all this different type of music and layering it. And I had never heard a soundscape before. And, and the minute it began, I was like, oh my God, okay, we're going there. And it was, it was, it was so deep, so primal, mm. so raw. And like, you know, you talk like I, and I didn't understand what was happening, but in the training you really, and you've been explaining to me, cause I've been like calling you up and asking you questions like what's going on here. Like how you explained it to me with the, like when you go into meditation, you're in the, is it Delta or Theta? Yeah. Delta. You're yeah. in the Delta brain state. So you only try to stay in that state, but with the soundscapes, you're taking us into all the brain waves. Yes. So why, why would you want to do that? <laughs> the, <laughs> the shift into different brainwave states has a connection um, both to the circadian rhythms and the autonomic nervous system. So in relation to autonomic nervous system responses, we can uh, remember the sympathetic responses as fight, flight, freeze, the things that make the heart rate go faster and the blood temperature rise. Um, this is part of what usually shifts us into states of action because of that fight and flight response. So these changes into a heightened response from the nervous system is able to bring us into a deeper state of balance um, when noticing that a lot of the sympathetic charges come when you're moving up into the higher brainwave states and the state of rest akin to the parasympathetic nervous system happens more in that delta meditative, restful, peaceful, quiet pause in between some of the chaos. Um, the other thing that happens in relation to the circadian rhythms is connected to how the waves are either mimicking or mirroring the REM sleep cycles. So the change in brainwave states is natural to our bodies. It happens to us every day. We're not always wakefully conscious of this. It's more in the auto autopilot modes of our consciousness. And simulating that in an inner dance or with a soundscape helps to bring a about these conditions in which the quality of familiarity that you might have with the feeling of moving through brainwave states also induces more of a dream-like quality or a wakeful dream state. So sometimes that might also be how I explain inner dance is a wakeful dream state. And there's many varieties of that lucidity that comes about in the space when, um, when we lay down. 
Yeah, and so I'm glad you also mentioned like the nervous system, right? Because um, I'm looking at like how this actually changes trauma for us. Um, and I wanted to like ask you about the heart and brain as well, which I get you're also referring to because it's something I'm also like working, looking at in my own world where, so there's a line I, I read somewhere, human consciousness is a conversation between the heart and the brain. The inner dance balances these two forces by freeing the heart and the brain from old tensions. So if say I was, you know, 14, 15 years old and a trauma happened, like somebody died, some, something tragic happened, right? Or like, obviously like we can't really fully deal with that at the time. So our brain does like whatever it does to cope with that. Does that then like dis what it creates like this incoherence between your heart and your brain. So when we go into the inner dance, I've noticed like things come up for me, like my brother did die when he was 21. So there was that tragedy in our lives. And so he'll come in, but it, it is like my heart and my brain are now coming back together with this. Can you speak more about how that happens with trauma for people? Mm, yeah. So especially when trauma happens, it is both a physiological experience in the body and a shock to the mind. So that mm. quality of shock in the mind is what makes us feel a lot of the pain because someone didn't come and run us over with a truck. And yet when someone dies, you might feel very physically like you've been run over by a truck it just sits in you and it's painful and this physiological expression is connected to the trauma response which often includes some form of pain and the pain is the hardest thing for us to be okay with feeling as it's happening because it hurts and when things feel painful um we try to avoid it as much as possible a lot of the time. Not everybody is as comfortable as others with like sitting in the pain and just letting themselves experience it. Um, that requires a connection between the heart and the mind because you're willing to be with yourself in whatever state you're in and have compassion for that state. And that requires a very strong connection between heart and mind. But more often than not, what happens is you lose that connection. You lose that ability to stay present with it and be in the moment. And you either try to detach from it or create some bypassing mechanism or numb it out. These are three qualities that often come up with trauma. So in these situations, the mind in some way wants to control how much pain it feels or to take away some of the pain that it's feeling. It enacts in the rewards pathway. Let me find some form of satisfaction that will take this away for right now. Ultimately, even if it feels better in the moment, the likelihood that you've stored some of that trauma because it hasn't been released, it's been numbed or avoided or suppressed, still finds its way in, into your memories and the memories that your body holds 
And if it was feeling pain physiologically, the memory of that pain is also held somewhere in the body as well as in the mind. This leads to avoidance patterns and it keeps us locked in these feedback loops. And if the feedback loop is coming from a traumatic response, which is often a reaction more than a clear and present awareness from which you are responding, um, things get a little bit tense or hard to find. They hide in little crevices of our mind and body or you know, every now and then you get an upset stomach when you think about that person and realize you're still quite sad. So these are still gonna be connected over time. In the inner dance, there's a spaciousness that opens up. It's almost like entering into a timeless place where every memory that you've ever had has a freedom to move outside of linear time or timelines between past, present, and future. Since there's no linear structure to that spaciousness, you can access multiple things simultaneously and feel like you're exactly in the moment where all of it is happening all at the same time and there never was a timeline. In that space, the connections between mind and heart are often intensified or amplified because in order to be in that space, you have to be coming from a connection between heart and mind prior to actually entering the spaciousness. Once you're there, it's like that connection remains quite strong in a way that helps to breathe through it or feel it or um, speak with it, have a conversation with it. These things allow for it to release or um, dissolve. Wow. So it's like your heart and brain are having a conversation, even if you don't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when, so when you, with the soundscapes, one of the things that you do is like you layer the music, right? So it's not just like, here's a song from Spotify, you layer it with all these different sounds. So that was the most surprising thing for me when I first laid down, I was like, oh my God, like all these sounds. And it was so stimulating. Like I didn't know where all the sounds were coming from. They were coming from everywhere. And then at some stage you're hearing sounds that are probably not even in the soundscape. So, you know, like you might hear like a song is playing, but at the same time, a door is opening and the water, you can hear the water. What is the purpose of that? Um, this is to create a landscape of sounds. And that's what my definition of a soundscape would be. Um, when you're in a landscape of sounds, your auditory um, interpretations and the quality of listening is intensified because it mimics what is often happening in your everyday conscious life. Um, but when you aren't consciously thinking about all the sounds around you, you don't notice them as much. When you're laying down, all of a sudden, all the sounds become quite visceral. It's an experience of the sound. And um, especially when we do this process live in person and can bring other instruments, we are also moving around the room and making sounds in the space so that it intensifies that. This has a lot to do with the 
um, connection to psychoacoustics in relation to how we understand sounds and what is the psychology of the things we hear? How do the things we hear uh, relate to our responses, reactions, or the timing of such? And how does it uh, bring up memories in a way that relates to um, maybe less of a pinpointed place and more like a nostalgia. A lot of the times these layered sounds can create conditions in which nostalgia is present. And that also allows for us to enter more of a spaciousness. The qualities of that are quite strong and diverse. Um, and the element of layering the music relates to polyphonic sound. And polyphonic sound requires more parts of the brain to be in action or active listening um, as compared to just listening to a monophonic song. And as that happens, and this has been used by many cultures for thousands of years to induce trance-like states of consciousness, these layers um, activate the two hemispheres of the brain differently. This is why you might hear a sound that wasn't actually being played, or one person can hear the baby crying and the other person has no idea there was even a baby in the soundscape. And it depends what part of your brain is listening at what time. So this is how it also shifts between how much time you're in one hemisphere or the other and allows for this more multi-sensory activation or uh, what I call the interhemispheric integration in relation to uh, the movements in, in hearing and how you're listening. Yeah, wow. Thank you. You are like a wealth of information. I love you. <laughs> I'm like, when's your next training, Serena? The last one was like so much, but I'm like, I need another one because like, I'm just like getting pieces. Um, so I just wanted to touch on something with the inner dance as you talked about the right and left hemisphere. And um, I want to look at like this, you know, addiction, right? We have a lot of addictions in the world we live in even in this like healing spiritual world, you know, like I went to AA for five years. So it was like, I needed to go to three meetings a week. And if I didn't go to three meetings a week, you know, I was going to be not in a good place, you know, and then I found energy work and it was like, I needed to do that energy work every week, you know? So it was always this like need for something outside of me to be my, my medicine. You know, I need to go to yoga. If I don't go to yoga, I'll, I'll blah, 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 whatever that is. So it's interesting with the inner dance um, that that has all changed. So since I actually don't like now, I don't ever feel like I need to do energy work or I need to do anything really. I don't even feel like I need to do inner dance. I don't even feel like I need an inner dance session. It's more just like when I when I have it, I have it. It's it's really incredible. It's like these addictions to outside sources have fallen away. Mm. Miracle, like what, like, <laughs> just like, what is that? Mm. Um, so I don't remember exact 
exactly how I was referencing it before, but I was mentioning the rewards pathway in the brain. And this mm. is what holds us in these deep needs for satisfaction because it helps us feel good. And we're hardwired to feeling good as compared to feeling bad. It doesn't mean that we all get to feel good or that we all have the same requirements for what feels good because there's a very fine line between pain and pleasure. And sometimes it gets a little entangled in how it crosses over and what for one is good is bad for another. So here's where this is highly subjective and personal, but in relation to what is personally going to satisfy you, your rewards pathway is going to seek out those things that um, make it change chemically and emotionally and whatever gives it that fix. It could be going to the gym, going to yoga, having a glass of wine, uh, smoking weed or hanging out with your friends. There are so many different things that we could include that will serve this rewards pathway. Now, some of these we would put into the categories of addiction and say, this is bad. This is not the right way for your rewards pathway to be satisfied or fulfilled. Can you change that? Can you shift it to playing sports or um, I don't know, starting a new craft or a hobby. Um, these are things we've been told will help us because it naturally creates some of the happy hormones that we usually get from the activity in the rewards pathway. So if you want that rush of oxytocin or dopamine, um, most of the time you do something that's going to make you feel good. Um, one of the biggest addictions that we could mention really quick is the devices and how mm -hmm. blue light is also an inducer of dopamine responses. So by looking at a phone long enough, you are simulating some type of dopamine response, but it's connected to this. It's not happening just naturally. So more and more you keep reaching for this so that the light will give you that sense of satisfaction somehow, which keeps you like addicted and sucked into the device even longer. Um, these are small ways in which many of us are feeding the need from these pathways um, to have some type of chemical reaction. But we we don't always know like what is best for us and or sometimes we just choose to do the things that um, might reflect more of a self-deception than a reality. Well, funny enough, I don't, I have this like thing that I don't want to be on my phone as much anymore either. And I put the phone away. No, yeah. Um, because it's, so it's like the inner dense is like returning you to like what's actually true, like what's actually whole in you. Yeah. So is the, is the inner sense, like, is it resolving these things in your brainwave? So maybe, like you said, you don't need the dopamine from the phone as much anymore because you're balancing it as you go through these soundscapes. Yeah. When you sleep, and this is why sleep deprivation or sleep issues or not getting enough sleep is 
harmful for our bodies. The time we spend in the circadian rhythms is a daily physical cleansing for the organs and happens in regimented time schedules throughout the night. And the time we spend dreaming is so helpful for our daily lives because we can often work out various subconscious issues or tensions or even let's say the thing you're working on that once you can figure it out is going to lead to like some big breakthrough whether that be in at work and in, in your job or in your home life or in just I don't know some puzzle you're trying to solve and you spend time in dream states going through these things so that you can actually perform better in the reality of 3D. And in that way, this is giving you more space in this dreamlike state where things can be worked out. You can sense what is in wholeness or bring back fragmented parts that might somehow be lost in a trauma or forgotten or the synoptic connections in the brain change through trauma and there's the avoidance that naturally starts to happen because you don't want to look at it or you don't want to feel it that way again and in the inner dance the capacity for neuroplasticity to rewire the brain or activate new synoptic connections so that new neural pathways are being executed rather than the same ones that have to fight through the trauma response every time something gets triggered is allowing for you to expand possibilities, expand potentialities, return to more of an infinite that you have the whole universe at your fingertips. What do you choose? And how now can that choice actually make you feel more satisfied with less? And, and that return to the simplicity of you and just I'm here or I exist and it's just that simple yeah (laughs) that is what's happening it's like returning to the simplicity of what is and like in it's almost like you know there was a moment I think in Scotland where I was like we were in the middle of a session you know and I kind of was like outside my body looking at the room going what's going on here like what am I doing like what is this all for like what's the point of this and then you know you had said in the training too what's the point there is no point and like and and that had came in it was like there is no point to this and i was like okay so is it fun like yeah all right just carry on and it it was this whole change for me where and it wasn't just about the inner dance it was about like my whole life you know has been about searching and seeking and healing and this and that. And I just got to like, like, there is no point, but there is a point, you know, like this is like you said, like, this is everything and nothing. Like, it's just, yeah, it's really like everything's being weaved together. And what I wanted to touch on too, was like um, the trauma thing again, because I did title healing trauma through inner dance. And I'm not like claiming inner dance heals trauma. Like, obviously it's everything works differently for everyone, but I've been noticing like for my own world and my own body, I would be quite someone who would be quite triggered easily. Like I would live, you know, I would have a high energy and I could get anxious very fast. And, and I've noticed that I am a lot more centered in my body and I've, 
And I notice people too, and I wonder, it's like, if you have trauma, which we all do, and then you, like you said, you go into these lucid dream states, like in your dreams where you can work things out, but now we're lying down in this class or with this facilitator or in this environment, and we are purposely putting people into lucid dream states, but at the same time, you're also putting them into activated states because you don't just keep them in the delta meditative we're going to sleep now state you move them to alpha you move them to beta and so the music can get very like turned up like activated it's loud is that also helping people work through trauma in their systems now but in a like a safe environment yeah so i would still say that um inner dance isn't for everyone, or if it isn't for you, that's okay. Not everybody is ready for these layered sounds that also sound quite confusing or chaotic at times because the brain is so hardwired to hearing things monophonically or working in a very rational, logical, sequential way. And when the brain is really strong in relationship to let's say more left-brained processing um, or it just focuses so much on the tangibility of the physical world it's a lot harder to sense the value in something like this but for those who are ready and willing or curious enough to see what is this like for me in this moment right now, there can be a lot that opens up because you are creating conditions inside of yourself for the change in musical waves to support the whole system. If there's too much skepticism in a person or their body when they lay down, this can impact how good, let's say, how good it actually feels, or if it feels like it's anything at all. That doesn't mean that it's not working. It just means that the effect either might be a lot more subtle or indecipherable from what was normal prior to coming to a session. Um, in situations like that, it's it's easy for our minds to turn off that which we're either not ready for or are not willing to look at or don't fit into the structures of our own current worldview because that's also very very much a part of like our reality too yeah so in 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 the inner dance um when there's an appreciation for this sound, or it seems to activate the brain in a way that says, wow, I've never, I've never felt that before because I've never given myself permission to experience just listening and laying. And somehow you put music on and now I'm going through something very different than what my 3D reality often represents. I think this is when... Um, it becomes so much more clear that there's a lot that we don't know when we only focus on our wakeful consciousness. What if we willingly chose to spend more time in the dream states? What if we had other ways to activate dreaming consciousness without having to go to sleep at night? What might that do to support us on many different levels? And um, what would that look like in 
our wakeful life if these changes really are taking place. The deeper the change happens, the more likely you are to notice differences in the wakeful conscious reality or your daily life patterns, the things that you like or dislike, the types of programming that seem to be washing clear or, or deprogramming in some way. Um, and, and all of that could feel really subtle, but this is for me where the inner dance is so beautifully woven with universal consciousness, something that's much older and much much more infinite than just our personal consciousness. And as it weaves with that, it tends to untangle or unravel bits that are locked into very specific individualized associations to reconnect back with what is more of a universal truth within that consciousness. I love that. You speak so beautifully, Serena. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to ask you kind of one last question, which is just a really basic question, but I'm also like, why is the music so loud? Or what is it about having the music loud? And I get sorry, just also on that, like it has been, uh, most people are good that come to me with it, but I've heard two people that went to a cap session that I know told me they really couldn't stand how loud the music was. Mm. So I'm just curious about that. Okay. Everybody does it a little differently. And depending on mm -hmm. what the situation is, the music may be really loud or maybe not. Um, I was telling you a little bit earlier before we started about the Lionsgate session that I did in Thailand. And because the police had shown up before we even started, we couldn't put the music as loud as we wanted to, because we were trying to also still just be respectful. And I had to play it much lower than what to have liked for such a big group and yet at the same time something in the softness was really beautiful for that evening and for those people laying down so many things happened and some people had that you know oh wow this was my first time like I actually felt something in my body or that changed everything and I'm you know blah 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 there's lots of things that show up after someone's first inner dance but that was interesting for me because it was such a big group. We had like 60 people and it was soft. Yeah. So some people will do it soft. Or for example, if we're online with each other and I'm playing the music on my end, it doesn't mean that's how loud somebody has it in their headphones or on their speaker. Right. So this is where it's still subjective, but something in Playing music loud also means that the vibrations are moving through us in a way that we might not feel if we're just hearing soft music. When you can really feel the sound, this is often because there's either a great sound system or you're playing it really loud. And to feel the vibrations change in the sound also has an impact on how the body starts to move energetically or how much of it might move because it's the intensity of the waves not just through hearing it but feeling it yeah do you know that um that's beautiful thank you for explaining that to me and yes um i've had uh i just actually did a a group yesterday and the soundscape was very quiet it was very actually it was the water temple one i think that you did in Copenhagen, and um it was ah it was beautiful it wasn't that loud at all so um 
And I actually did do a meditation class where I used your, um, the one we did at night, which was a nocturnal one. Um, and it, people told me they were able to like drop deep into like their own meditation in a way they couldn't even before. Like one lady was like, I've never laid still before. This was the first time I laid, I've laid still. And even me personally too, like when we were in Scotland, like there was a couple of sessions where like, I didn't move. Like I went so deep and out wherever I went, like it was like the stillest I've ever been. And then there's sessions where my body just moves the, most of the session. I love how it's different every time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've also really appreciated creating tracks that can be more in the background or used at night or played quite softly and still felt really deep. And some tracks I've created without any real music, it's mostly just nature sounds. And so instead of building through brainwaves between deltas that are mostly nature into something more like a intense techno or electronic beat, the intensity builds from the um, expanse of the landscape in a track. And yet you could still play it very softly and and somehow it would even take you maybe quite a lot deeper than if you were hearing it super loud. So yeah, it it has a lot to do with the environment where you're in. Um, or for example, um, sometimes the rain gets too loud when you're outside under a corrugated metal roof type of shala in the jungle to um, even hear the music, but then it's almost like nature takes over and becomes the sound of the inner dance itself <laughs> yeah i love that i also love nature sounds so more soundscapes for nature sounds for that um <laughs> so i love that you also talk about the wave you know um so i don't know if you know you might have heard of it it's a practice called five rhythms um and that's how i first found like movement as actually you know what i didn't find it i did it myself first so years ago, I'd be at home and I'd put on music and I would just start moving my body and I moved through my own waves. It was something that I knew that was wisdom I had. I know I woke things up in my body with that. And then someone said, you should go try this five rhythms class. And when I went, I was like, oh, this is what I've been doing at home in my bedroom. There's other people who do it. And the reason I'm talking about this is because we, you talk about inner dances. It's not really a modality. It doesn't really come from anyone. Yes, we can say there, yes, there is a founder, but it's also like, it's a remembrance and it's been in the world. And that's what I really am drawn to, because for me, this is a remembrance. This is a waking up. This is something inside of me that's primal that I know, similar to the dance was for me. And, and it's interesting because it's like there is no separation now between the physical dance and the inner dance, like the dance where, okay, we're going to move, but then also the inner, it's like the two are actually happening at the same time. And both of them have been very similar for me in that they both woke up the inner knowing, the inner awareness, the inner wisdom, the inner everything in me. Mm. So could you speak a little bit about like, I don't know. Um, so I guess what am I asking here is like, has this been around before? Are we just giving this a name now? You know, like mm. people need names, like ecstatic dance, five rhythms, like our brain needs some kind of name for all these things that we're doing, quote unquote. Mm. Mm. But is yeah. it that? <laughs> well, you know, 
no one is going to stop looking for new things to identify and classify if they're interested in that, right? Um, you know, we, we're still finding new species out in jungles all the time, right? Um, perhaps it's the methodology connected to the system for classifying things that is being reworked in relation to the scientists who actually go out into the jungle to find things, um, as well as what's happening inside of us. So like, for example, in finding a new species and having it classified, you need to take that creature out of the wild and bring it to a laboratory and keep it there to make sure that yes, this is a new species. Now, if you're also maybe being asked, can you bring back two if possible? Like what if these are the only ones that are out there in nature? Is this actually helpful to the ecosystem to do this in order to say, oh, here's a new species? Or could we just trust that there are plenty of species still there on this planet that we don't have labeled and classified and identified as such, but that they are that it's okay for them to exist? Yeah, um, the same might be true in why we've needed to label and personalize or individualize or identify with a founder or a creator so many of the different things that have been happening on this planet that one person experiences something very personal in the form of an awakening but that seems so highly charged that it is tangible for others or it's it's amplified to the point that others really do feel something of that energy that this person is embodying. Um, does that need a name? Does it, does it need to be taken out of the jungle and, and analyzed in a laboratory in order to understand that it exists? Um, this energy has been around for so long in so many different forms. In many ways, it's been called inner dance for a very long time. You can find this in various texts or books or in ways that people have written about something they called inner dance. And in so much of what inner dance might philosophically or theoretically relate to in the oldest of ways we've seen it for ourselves or researched it or read it in a textbook or in a in an ancient philosophy um they there's this this way of articulating the energy in this community that we think of as inner dance or the global inner dance family those that have been a part of this work or for you know hundreds of lifetimes or in just this first session when they lay down what is that remembrance because when that also is remembered it could happen from laying down closing your eyes and listening to the music and being in a session and having that make you feel like this is a practice or a modality and that's okay and for others it happens when they're by themselves as a teenager listening to music and whatever happens in the body, if it's laying down, if it's dancing, we know it, it's already there. It's already the remembrance that's moving us. We don't need to go to a session specifically to remember something because the movement is already so activated. We can get to that session and say, wow, this is so familiar or, oh, I know this already. 
I've already been doing this. So more and more, we're just realizing there's something in our consciousness that speaks to us through dreamlike qualities of remembrance and existence and potentiality. And in that space, we know how to be there without going to sleep. We know that we can understand something of ourselves or again, remember something of ourselves because it's there and we do have access to it. We just aren't taught that in school. And most of our parents wouldn't remember how to speak this because these might be languages that have been quite forgotten for a long time or the feeling that what we're accessing still relates to, let's say, tribal superstitions or things of the past in a ritualistic way that we purposefully let go of in order to continue. Um, why not everybody is so culturally oriented? And yet here we are transcending culture, transcending any ritual or religion or means of accessing this from, let's say, an elite system or a hierarchical way of translating technology to the people. We are the people and we're doing something very simple. We're laying down, closing our eyes and seeing what happens. Now to have that as an embodied state where you remember yourself this way is it's very empowering. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it doesn't require very much, but you have to be able to trust something so simple in order to also appreciate that it's, it's always there. Yeah. Wow. I love that. You have to be able to trust something so simple in order to know it's always there. <sighs> That's beautiful. That's a great line to end at. <laughs> Serena, <laughs> I'm so grateful for you. I'm sure this won't be our last conversation. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, if any of you want to know more about Inner Dance and Serena, she has a website. It's www.innerdancetrust.com. Yes. Okay. Um, and it's in the show notes as well, your website. Um, is there anything you want to share before we finish or? Um, that's it for me. Thank you very much for oh. having this chat. Yeah. Well, if people want to experience a session with Serena, she offers inner dance sessions online. You, she does teacher trainings as well online, right? Yes. Um, sometimes live, but not much, right? We'll see. We'll see. I training. should have <laughs> my 2024 schedule. Um, in the next month or so. And I'm hoping by the end of next week to have the dates for the next online training course available for people. Um, the plan start for that would be by mid-October. So I will have one more online training this year. And then next year, I've got some things in, in, in the works, but nothing solidified just yet. Yeah. So you can check her website out as well. And um, if any of you are local in Florida in Delray Beach, I've been I'm offering this soundscape or soundscape inner dance sessions <laughs> in person and also in groups. And I'm offering it online as well. So thank you, Serena. Thank you for bringing 
um just yeah so much thank you for the soundscapes thank you for like being so creative and like I'm like every day I'm like oh my god I'm so grateful for you like I'm putting that into your world I'm not like calling you up telling you every day because um what you've created with the soundscapes when people have a session like with me or a group or whatever they literally get up and like what was that they're like I've never heard anything like that before and so I'm seeing it create a lot of change for me personally and for people so I'm very grateful for what you bring to that with your your how you see sound and music working so thank you Mm, thank you yeah yeah much love for that and very very happy for the gift of being able to share it (laughs) yeah I have like in my head I have a whole list of soundscapes I want you to make you know okay can you do this can you do one (laughs) <laughs> I'll send you a little bit soon. <laughs> All right, I'll get on it. <laughs> I'm like nature spirits, yes. <laughs> More nocturnal ones, one like this. Okay. <laughs> and then I have songs. Like, Can you put this in one of your songs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I have a, a new computer arriving this weekend, so I'm hoping that that will enhance my ability to work on some of these creative projects because my little laptop just isn't cutting it anymore. And okay. then let's see. I'm hoping it'll <laughs> spark some creativity. <laughs> I, okay, I'll be. I'll send you what. I, I'll send you everything that's popping for me, and then you can be like, "All right, Amy." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Serena. I'm so grateful for you. And and we'll see you all soon. Thank you for listening to the Dance to Oneness podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. If you'd like to know more about what I have to offer, you can find me at www.amyshine.net.